You're listening to The Last Thing I Saw. My name is Nicholas Rippold. I'm an editor and a writer, and I'm your host. Usually, I talk with one or maybe two fellow critics, and lately the subject has been movies you can look forward to that are now premiering in festivals. This time, I went all out and invited three critics to talk about their picks from the Toronto International Film Festival. It's a roundtable, and they're all terrific. Eric Hines, curator of film at Museum of the Moving Image, Jordan Cronk, a leading festival correspondent, and the critic Beatrice Loiza. The movies we discussed included The Highly Anticipated Nomad Land, starring Frances McDormand, a suspenseful Iranian drama called The 180 Degree Rule, Pieces of a Woman, starring Shia LaBeouf and Vanessa Kirby, Quo Vadis Aida, a harrowing story set in 1990s Bosnia and Herzegovina, Fauna from director Nicholas Pereira, two documentaries, Downstream to Kinshasa and 76 Days, and a previous favorite, Preparations to be Together for an Unknown Period of Time. Let's go to our conversation. Welcome back to The Last Thing I Saw. This is a special festival edition. I recorded one from Venice without going to Venice, which was lovely. The weather was great. I did not leave my couch. And I'm again moving without moving, which is the magic of movies. And this time, the place is Toronto. For many people, entirely remote. We're all watching things virtually. And I couldn't resist getting together some people to talk about the movies again. Uh, And who better to do that than this wonderful gang of opinion holders and thought leaders? Um, I'm just going to go alphabetically. So by last name, because this is very military setup. Uh, We'll start with Jordan Kronk. Welcome, Jordan. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, my name is Jordan Kronk, um, freelance critic covering Toronto virtually. That's about it. We've worked a lot on, on articles and interviews, uh, you know, as, as with everyone here. I'm... Hello. Did you guys hear that doorbell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like that should be the cue for some quiz now. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing if that was actually Jordan ringing your bell? Just somehow showed up on the outside? That's what we should do for the surprise reveal at the end. You're all actually in the, in the room with me. Uh, next on the list is Eric Hines. I'm Eric Hines. I'm creator of film at Museum of the Moving Image, and according to Nick, a thought leader. It's true. Don't deny it. I feel like there was some sarcasm in that, so I'm just going to own that to try to counteract your sarcasm. No, there was no. There was. I think my sarcasm is about the jargon that we are handed to to describe people's talents sometimes. But uh, I, in fact, believe that you are all three leaders of thought. Um, and finally. Um, Welcome, Beatrice. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Uh, Yeah, so I'm Beatrice Eliza. I'm also a freelance critic, usually at a number of different places, though for Toronto, uh, as of right now, covering for Filmmaker and Reverse Shot, maybe other places, not sure yet. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that the fun of this? (laughs) Um, but I, I was I was very pleased to publish your writing. Uh, felt like we were just getting started. I know it was so sad. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm sure we'll be reading your work for decades to come. Isn't that appealing? <laughs> oh, trapped forever <laughs> until death. <laughs> um, so being at a festival in this way, how is how is it different? If anyone wants to just 
say a few words. I feel like it's a eulogy. Who wants to say a eulogy <laughs> for the in-person experience for now? And I think it should be said for those of us in the States, you know, attending Toronto virtually the way that we are, that the festival is happening physically in Toronto, that there are screenings, there are introductions, you know, unlike other festivals over the last year that have gone entirely virtual. Toronto is physical for some. I think it's actually, you know, obviously attendance is quite different than what it normally is. And I think there's a different feel. I'm kind of surprised by how pleasant the experience has been in terms of using their player and watching movies and how logical it is. And and so I appreciate the access to the films and I'm glad that other people are watching at the same time. I'm glad that we actually, all four of us can talk about films that we're seeing, that it's not so scattershot that we're having, you know, entirely different experiences. Um, and that's kind of nice. I found myself making a, making a schedule like I normally would. I like wrote it all down, have like, I'm going to watch these four films this day, this five films the next day because of the screening windows. So in that sense, it hasn't been all that different. I guess the main thing is like not seeing people between screenings and doing these kind of things and discussing the films. Like, I guess you normally would, I kind of just, uh, refill my coffee and start a new movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit more solitary. But in any case, let's go right to the movies. I know everyone's very busy. We could just start with, in a way, what was not the official opening film, but really because of its placement, was a prominent film for the festival and is at three festivals that actually are happening. Um, and that's Nomadland. Uh, so Nomadland uh, is Chloe Zhao's um, you know, latest film. I mean, I say latest, currently there have been two features to date. She does have another major feature lined up already for the Marvel franchise. Nomadland stars Frances McDormand. She's somewhat recently uh, bereft, um, single person of, of, of a certain age, traveling and just finding her footing. And she falls in with a group of I'm not sure what you, what you call nomads. Them. Nomads, <laughs> I guess. But see, already like the titular nomads. The titular nomads, yeah, itinerants, but really they kind of put down stakes now and again with, with RVs and that sort of thing. And they seem to have a guy who is like their practical and spiritual leader in a way. And then she strikes up some sort of rapport with, with a fella uh, who's, who's among this group. And she's also reckoning with her feelings about her uh, dearly, dearly departed husband as well as her family. And, you know, big skies, um, open road. And, and I think above all, for me at least, um, Frances McDormand's face, just kind of taking it all in. So, I mean, that's kind of my semi-neutral summary. I do have some feelings about it, but I, I feel like if someone wants to sing its praises first, maybe. <laughs> what a setup. What a setup. I'll be here in the corner just whittling, you know. So I, I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think... In the moment, I, I don't know. I, I was taken by its emotion in the moment. I'm sure I shed a few tears, but I think given some days apart, I'm not as warm on it as I, as I once was. But I do like this idea of like this Americana nomad bohemian type without the usual like bohemian artifice you see in these types of road movies and without the sort of downtrodden poverty porn that you might, you might expect from a movie about a woman who's living out of her van. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is quite beautiful to look at. Um, she goes to the Badlands and other natural wonders of the country. 
Um, it's kind of like reminiscent of Terence Malick at times, just like, you know, this interest in this transcendent natural state and the freedom that might give to the individual beyond the trappings of capitalism. Um, I thought Francis McDormand was, was really incredible. I mean, just the small facial modulations were really interesting to watch. Yeah, I feel like she is kind of the main thing I really liked about this movie in retrospect. I feel like my colleagues on here do not like this movie. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, for me, that's not the case. I mean, I liked it quite a bit. And I think but you, what you described is something similar in terms of I really enjoyed watching it and was really taken by it in a lot of ways. Since then, like I've been sitting with it and it's it's unsettled me a little bit more than I thought maybe it would when, while watching it. Um, I, I think you know, in, in terms of my feelings about it as a film, I, I, I was not a huge, I didn't respond uh, as well to the writer for me a either. film as much as other people <laughs> did. Um, and, and, and I think that some of what I didn't love about that film was solved for a little bit in terms of just my own preferences here. And, you know, I think Chloe Zhao's project is, is just to work in this high, this, along the lines of hybridity you know, in working with real people who play themselves in environments that are their their environments. Um, and it's a it's a project that I'm interested in. Um, the writer felt like an imposition of a kind of artificial cliched narrative onto the messy realities of people. And that bothered me. It, you know, it, it felt like, and, and this is like a real privileged film critical take, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it, it felt like a kind of softer version of what Roberto Minervini has been doing for a while. And, and, and the fact that that film was celebrated when Minervini's work is still along the margins, you know, something that made me quite grumpy. Um, whereas this film, I think your comparison to Malick is, is apt. And I think that it's working on a, on a different register visually. But I think that it, it felt a little bit less pat in its narrative. And it felt a little messier in terms of narrative. And I appreciated that. I feel like if you're going to use, you know, 99% real people in real environments, you shouldn't force a script onto them too much. And I felt this, this film, I appreciated that about it. And I don't want to sort of seed what Nick is going to say, but I think the thing that has not set, settled all that well with me is you talked about, Beatrice, you talked about it refrains from poverty porn. And I think it does, but what it then leans toward is kind of a way of some of the really kind of rough economic realities that are that are in play in a film like this. It sort of leans towards, you know, um, beautifying or romanticizing a little bit more than it maybe needed to do. But I think you're right. But it, what it does is sort of is trying to refrain from that kind of poverty pornography. Um, I think I was sort of opposite on you compared to you, Eric. I like the writer maybe a little bit more than this. Although I think maybe the my problem with this film is a little hamstrung by being based on a, on a book and it's slightly more linear and structurally not didn't find it as interesting as the writer but her project as far as integrating uh you know the real people these are real drifters i think playing opposite francis mcdormand for majority of the film uh i still find that very interesting but overall yeah i mean i found it a little i guess one note that would be my kind of criticism and with the writer was fairly dynamic within a kind of constricted uh structure but this felt you know because of i think the literary origins it kind of follows a trajectory that didn't surprise all that much even though it is quite moving and Francis McDormand is is quite good but yeah the Malick comparisons are gonna I think trail the film even though I think it's interesting that she's using it like not for a like not for a spiritual dimension like uh, Malick might do this is definitely an earthbound very terrestrial film which I found uh I don't usually like films that 
uh, work with the Malick uh, style very much, but this I think did pretty well. But yeah, I think it's a good movie. Maybe not a great movie, but did win the top prize in Venice, so we could be wrong. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah I, I probably introduced this in the worst way by making it sound <laughs> like I was just going to tear it apart. I basically had one major feeling about it, which is it kind of gets at, at, at the problem of her character, basically, which is even though her circumstances are, are, are rough, it's painted as a choice uh, what she's doing. You know, we learn about her and, and meet her sister in one of these exposition speeches that I can never really stand, tells us what Frances McDormand's character was like growing up, you know, that she's been always this kind of a skeptical voice and, 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 you know, always wanted to kind of get away and clearly forge her own path and was unafraid to speak her mind about things. And it ends up being that this hitting the road is, is partly a choice for her, the, that the movie goes with that, the sense that that's why she's doing it. It didn't sit quite well because, because yeah, as, as as Eric mentioned, some of the economic ra- realities here are pretty brutal, and it's not that the movie pulls all its punches about that. You know, I mean, one of her friends at at, at the encampment, uh, you know, she has terminal cancer. They don't shy away from that. I mean, as I understand it, the source material is more about basically the idea that people can't retire anymore at the age where they might normally be able to reap the benefits of a long life of work, they have to continue. And, you know, that's, that's not necessarily the sense you get here. I, I, at the same time, this is not those, this is not like about Schmidt, you know, and it's not anywhere close to that. So I appreciate that there is a sense of struggle. So it's better than Alexander Payne movies. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't expect this to be a sideswipe of Alexander Payne. That must really came out of nowhere, I'm, to be honest with you. No, I'm not putting that down. Just saying that there is a there's a sense of freedom in in that. That I, I'm not saying it's that level of comfort in in this at all in this movie. That's well, what I'm saying. Well, I think I think what you're describing. I, I think it. This is the sort of film that I do feel. I think it works and it's powerful and it's working on a high level and then the second or the hour that you spend picking it apart, it kind of falls apart. And and I don't even know if that's its fault, but I think that's just kind of how it, how it is. Like, I mean, I, I think that it, it's basically doing both. It's doing two things. It's doing both. It's, it's having its cake and eating its two and eating it as well in terms of, I think the first half of the film, it, it's, it's handling the economic realities effectively um, and doesn't shy away from it. And then the more we get to know Frances McDormand's character, the more the fact that it becomes about her character and about choice and about a way of life dawns on you, you know? And so it, 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 in a sense, it, my experience of it was I was compelled by that. So I appreciated it, but I do think it's rather schematic in terms of having one angle on this reality in one half of the film and another on the second half. Yeah. That's, that's a movie we'll, We'll be hearing hearing more about, I, I, I suppose, because it does does it does connect, and that's not nothing at all. Better than Alexander Payne, but not as good as Roberto Minervini. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? There was another filmmaker too that I also thought of, who we might end up talking about, um, uh, Gianfranco Rossi, um, who directed Below Sea Level, um, yeah. which might actually be about the very same um, area, or at least around the same area that. Um, Francis McDormand's character kind of uh, falls in with, which, you know, people who are embracing uh, slash, you know, making the most of the, the kind of margins um, in these kind of nomad, not nomad land, but no man's land. Um, that's a movie I definitely thought of and, and also honestly also thought of in terms of how characters were introduced in this one, 
um, who were non-professionals because, you know, when you're the non-professional and Francis McDormand is the other person, you know, it's a little different than in the documentary Below Sea Level, you know, where everyone's kind of on the same level. You get to see all the, the corners and kinks and strange things at length about every person who's living like that. Again, like that's just not what this movie is structured to be. So I'm not sure. holding it whole, but I'm just saying, if you like this, uh, <laughs> watch Below Sea Level. Uh, let's let's talk about another movie. Um, maybe since that's like a relatively huge movie as far as this year's festival goes, um, maybe we can talk about uh, a film from from our perspective, uh, from in- internationally. Uh, since that's another feature, I think, of Toronto is bringing together just really like approaching whatever, you know, 50 different countries under one uh, big tent. And one movie that I, I haven't seen it, but I would love to hear about it, is The 180 Degree Rule. This is an Iranian film, is that right? Yes. So, yes, this is directed by a female Iranian director. I forget her name. She's very beautiful. I looked up pictures of her. Um So anyways, the movie is about a very headstrong woman who really wants to go to a wedding party and wants to take her very cute little five-year-old daughter. Um, But her husband, for whatever reason, just does not approve of this. And he says that he has to attend to work obligations um, and forbids her from going. Uh, But she really wants to go. And so her husband is goes off on some on some work trip and she defies him and ends up going to this party anyway, in spite of her husband. And she has her whole family in on the ruse, and they all agree to not tell the husband that she ended up defying him. The wedding party is wonderful, and she goes to bed, and the next morning she wakes up, and there's been a gas leak, and her daughter is is dead. And so then all of a sudden she is you know, obviously faced with this deep tragedy, but also needs to confront the fact that she had defied her husband and she doesn't tell him outright what happened and instead comes up with this other uh, explanation for how her daughter passed away. And I won't go on with the rest of the film, but it's it's very bleak. <laughs> it's a very depressing um, sort of examining this woman's various machinations or sort of desperate attempts to, you know, in a sense, not get in trouble while also reckoning with this deep tragedy. Um, I I enjoyed the film. Um, I don't really know what to make of its sort of just overwhelming bleakness. Um, It doesn't have a happy ending. I mean, there's various things that go wrong, but I found the lead performance uh, moving and I liked how it sort of integrated her family life and, you know, showed her dynamic with the family in, in addition to her dynamic with this husband who is kind of a dick, but ends up not being entirely wrong and her coping with that. So, I mean, <laughs> Eric, what, what did you think? <laughs> um, no, that's also, that's a, that's a very, I, I don't disagree with any of that. It's an on the button description of all of it. I, I was really taken by it I, I i found it's one of these films where there's a central mystery under everything that 
if you feel where it's coming from, it all makes sense. And if you don't, I can imagine it being opaque. And, and I think that there's something also which kind of really effectively subversive about a film like this is it kind of makes something very domestic and local and, and, and in terms of like these specific characters and a specific incident, uh, but really I think is actually smuggling an, an indictment of an entire society, which is that, you know, this is clearly somebody who is, you know, traumatized by abuse and traumatized by abuse that may be about a specific relationship or it could just be what it's like to be a woman in Iran from childhood forward, you know, and, and there's just this sort of almost a shell shock quality to, um, this uh sarah i I looked it up just it's not me actually knowing more than you did beatrice but the actress's (laughs) name is sahara dolichahi and and anyway there's something just shell-shocked about her from the very beginning even before any of these incidents happen that seemed to be just coming from somebody who's just living um shielding herself from something while also trying to forge an independent life. And so the fact things that happen to her, of course, lead to the plot of the film, but just, it just seems like what's, what's carrying in her face and in her body is this sort of impossible reality. And so when horrible things happen, you still are somebody who's raised in that horrible reality. But I, and I say that about the film, nothing about the way that the plot or the scenes unfold are, are leaning into that very, in, in, a, in a hard way. I mean, it's actually very eventful um, and also very crisp film in terms of how long it is and what happens within it um, and what the scenes are supposed to be and how one leads to the next. There's something very crisp and clean as far as storytelling, but it just, it, it freights this emotion and trauma that um, I found just really, really effective, you know, because you get caught up in why this, why that, why is this person behaving this way? In, in some, I wouldn't say it's it's misleading, but in some ways, like you know, we all get caught up in in the the circumstances um, that happen on a day to day basis. But like underneath all of those circumstances, you know, the, this is basically like a week in, in in these people's lives or two weeks in these people's lives. But everything that's happening within it is informed by the lives, the decades of lives that and uh, and, and centuries of of, of 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 custom that leads to those couple weeks. Yeah, and to to echo uh, what Eric just said, I, I I initially described it as very bleak, which it is, but I don't mean to say that it's like slow and sad. It's very actually exciting yeah. and and tense all throughout, and it almost has like a thriller feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her performance lends itself to that kind of yeah. You're like arguing with her or shouting at you. You're pulling for her to do this or that instead, and upset when she makes this decision and so like even even just those sort of small minute choices you know have that kind of thriller uh, repercussions so i think we're recommending it nick it sounds like <laughs> it yeah I, I would take that as a recommendation i i, I really wish uh, that i've been able to catch that let's let's talk about an, another movie um a uh, 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 jordan since you, you weren't in, in that uh, go round, is there is there one that you might want to put forth Well, my two favorite films, to stay on brand a little bit, I guess, are the two features in the would-be wavelength section. One's a debut feature by uh, an experimental filmmaker named Ephraim Azili. It's called The Inheritance. Um, Isn't it playing at NYFL? It is. It's it's opening the current section in New York. So That's uh, when I hope to see it, yeah. So Ephraim Azili is like an experimental uh, filmmaker, for lack of a better word. Uh, He's made a number of short films having to do with... uh, African-American and black arts and uh, experience over the centuries. This film is his first feature. 
It is based on his time living in a like a black uh, arts collective in his, I believe, early 20s or so. So this film is like a fictionalized version of that where a, a young African-American guy inherits his grandmother's apartment in Philadelphia and moves in with his girlfriend. And they turn it into kind of a uh, socialist living space uh, where artists and other friends and people come through. So there's a lot of there's like musical sequences and poetry readings and things like that. But he's shooting in a style which he fully admits, and it's very obvious, in the style of Jean-Luc Godard's La Chinoise, his 1967 film about like Maoist uh, radicals. So it's shot in that kind of very colorful tableau style almost, all shot in this apartment, which is actually a stage. So it's very like formally composed and really beautiful and colorful, like I said. But he's bringing in all these activists and artists from Philadelphia who are playing themselves, but they're in like, you know, scripted situations. And it's just speaking about uh, struggles and oppressions of black Americans over the centuries. It, it uses some archival footage of the MOVE organization and the bombing in 1985 and some uh, other archival footage of other kind of tragedies in the, in the past half century. They're kind of drawing parallels with the, with the youth generation of today and how they're living. And yeah, it's just a very, uh, it's really powerful and unique, very unique movie. Definitely nothing like it in Toronto and probably New York either. That's kind of the gist. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on in it, but that kind of touches on most of it, I think. Yeah, that, that sounds really great. Um, and people listening can, they can catch up with it at, at that point. All right. Well, how about, shall we maybe dive into uh, Pieces of a Woman, uh, which maybe people are <laughs> uh, curious about? Let's talk about this one. Yeah, I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, ha- I have not seen it, so I'll just let... I'll let you guys go at it. <laughs> Does anyone like it? <laughs> go ahead, Jordan. No, no, you, you seem passionate, so go for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a movie by Cornel Mondrisco. He's a hung- Hungarian filmmaker, I think. Um, mm-hmm. He yes. made a number of bad movies. This one's worse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is his first American film, uh, or English language film. Stars Shia LaBeouf and uh, Vanessa Kirby, right? The performances aren't the problem with this movie. She is very good. They're, they're a married couple. LaBeouf and uh, Kirby and uh, they the movie begins with like a home birth that goes wrong and the midwife is essentially blamed for the death of their child and then it opens up kind of this can of worms where you find out all these kind of dirty secrets about Shia LaBeouf's character he's a addict and he also is having affairs and uh, Vanessa Kirby's trying to like uh, give the baby's body to the local university university for like a scientific research while the family wants to bury it. Anyway, any, any kind of like overly dramatic scenario you can think of is included in the movie, but it begins with like the, the birth sequence is like this 20 minute uh, sequence shot. So with no cuts, uh, very like show offy thing that he tends to do, which I don't like. Yeah. And then it goes from there and it just gets more and more like uh, dark and pessimistic and uh, overly melodramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone else seen this movie? Yeah, it's it's bad. I have to say, um, the opening sequence, the one everyone's going to be talking about, is like I mean, it did have an effect on me as a woman who you know has her own anxieties about ever becoming pregnant and <laughs> having a baby and all that. Um, and I mean, so that. I have to admit that had an effect on me and, you know, I was kind of hoping it would go somewhere after that. I mean, given that 
you know, the whole premise is exploring this woman's grief, which is, you know, losing this child and, and, you know, coming to terms with that, with something that never even really lived. And I just, it's just like, it's an experience that is almost unfathomable. It's, it's one that it's hard to imagine what that might feel like. And it's like the film itself concedes like, oh, we don't actually know what that feels like either. And so it throws all of these like cliches of like psychological turmoil and just like randomness to create this sense of, of inner turmoil for Vanessa Kirby's character, you know, from class differences with her husband to Shia LaBeouf's alcoholism, her relationship with her mother. And <laughs> there's even a part where Ellen Burstyn's character, who for me is actually the best part of the movie, she has this monologue, which is the delivery is, is very affecting, but it's like out of left field is about the Holocaust. <laughs> And it's just like that almost like represents the movie to me, just like throwing profound things at you that you're supposed to feel like moved or affected by. But like, how does that get at this experience of grief? It like, right. uh, <laughs> it was a mess. The opening sequence, like you were saying, like you're supposed to feel for this woman. But it, to me, that sequence is all about the director and like showing off what he can do with the camera and like what you can show as far as the birth goes. And like, yeah, I w the whole time I was just thinking about him thinking how awesome this sequence is going to be and not really <laughs> considering like what the character is going through, even though it's a super committed performance by Kirby, who, like I said, is, is good. But uh, all those movies feel to me, they're, they're about his, his style and his like, it's like a super masculine type of uh, a formal approach that rubs me the wrong way. Well, I mean, Beatrice, you said, I love the way you said that there's, it's an unfathomable thing for somebody to go through and the film does not successfully <laughs> fathom it whatsoever. And so I think, I think I also think she's excellent in it, but what she's asked to do, she's, she's a mystery to us. Her emotional life is a mystery and how that she's actually reasoning through this is actually a mystery until the very, very end when there is yet another bravura scene to answer that long take in the beginning, which regardless of its show-offiness, which I agree with you, Jordan, um, that sequence could have power if the film surrounding it actually picked apart that scene from that right. point forward. If it became the sort of evidence that we're all referring to to sort of work through what happened. But it's not that at all. You know, it's only at the very end of the film that the midwife who's in that scene comes back and we actually think about her and we think about her point of view um, you know, there's a Rashomon type film that could be made out of a scene like that, but we just, it gets abandoned. And what it gets abandoned for is a bunch of cliches about grief, you know, and I hate to say that because people go through this all the time and is an experience that absolutely is worthy of dramatization. Um, but what I'm seeing here for the most part is it's just fancy filmmaking and that's not what it should be. Yeah. It's such an odd pairing of, of director and material, just, you know, this Mondrasco being so overwrought and overcranked in his like showboatiness and then like combining that with very sensitive nuanced material. It's, I mean, I guess it was almost destined to implode. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Shia LaBeouf is fine in it, but it is so expected, yeah. which is tough. It is exactly the performance I expect him to give is this character. And so I wind up probably being unfair to it. Again, like I think he's good, but but there's a way in which the performance doesn't even register for me 
because it's every single note of it is i feel like he's i've heard i've heard him play that instrument before so here it is yeah yeah it's a shia shia symphony <laughs> yeah it's, well, it, I, I i i i can't i can't like i can't say anything like really officially about it because i've only seen the beginning uh and and yeah i i i i guess i treated this as a real festival in the sense that i i left early <laughs> um and so but but yeah early on i, I that was about his performance just the, i just got the sense he, it was like he was hosting a movie or something so that's yeah that's that's that movie that's pieces of a woman cornell mundrusco who did white god which i i i'll i will say i did like white god um the one about the dog takeover and jupiter's jupiter's moon which never came out right jupiter's moon which never came out uh which also not a good movie but uh a <laughs> just a, a trip because it's 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 really like a underworld style like corny cgi movie uh, about people people (laughs) flying and its heart is so it's so proud of the people flying in the movie and thinks it's so cool (laughs) Uh, i I don't know but i did like white god the the joke's on us folks it just got bought by netflix it's going to be a big old deal so Mm. what do we know what do we know (laughs) (laughs) all right okay pieces of woman as i said a wonderful movie it's something you can really sit with and, and, and live with. Um, so I'm, I'm happy for it. Um, anyway, uh, so another movie we, we could talk about, uh, Quo Vadis Aida, question mark, um, which is a drama that is set in the 90s during the um, Bosnian-Serbian conflict. And that was a movie, again, I wanted to see, but I did not. But that's why I'm a lucky guy, because um, I think, uh, Eric and Beatrice, you both saw that. I did, yes. Yes, I saw it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did have some hesitation about it just because I've seen a number of kind of like war journalists or war zone kind of experience movies and they haven't been so successful um, for me. But I've heard that this one maybe is. I mean, I'll start this time first. I mean, I, 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 this is effective. I mean, I was, I mean, listen, just on, on, a, on a personal level, on an emotional level responding to it, it kind of really wrecked me. Um, I think it's also just, um, this is a, period as Americans where maybe some things that we had a little bit more distance from than, than other people around the world might. Um, we are, we're, we're more exposed these days. I think we're all more raw to political realities. And so um, the, this felt quite immediate for me. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of a TikTok of uh, basically just a few days. I'm, I'm bad with pronunciation, but Savenica. Um, uh, Srebrenica. Srebrenica. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You wouldn't. You, you know, I spent I spent a, a good year of my life in Eastern Europe. You think I'd do better than that? But um, <laughs> where where uh, the Serbs basically come through, and it's supposed to be a protected UN city, but instead the Serbs basically overtake it, and residents, Muslim, mostly Muslim residents, flee and and seek refuge in the the UN compound, and it really mostly takes place there. And it's really, like I said, it's about a day or so during during that period of time when the UN is caught in the middle and is very ineffective, and uh, it leads to mass slaughter of, of men uh, during that time. And it's through the lens of a translator, so a local translator, a school teacher who translates for the UN, and her and her attempts at protecting her family amidst this nightmare. You know, there's there's a there's a way in which uh, I, I 
I get a little grumpy when those stories are told through the lens of an individual, you know, or a small group, because it kind of leads to that something that makes me give leaves a bad taste in my mouth when you're basically rooting for the characters you know when they're amidst crowds of other people who are suffering just the same way. Um, mm. But I think that it kind of makes sense here because your your character is in this in-between or privileged position of being protected when others are not. Um, and so though I get uncomfortable with plots that, that evolved this way, um, it didn't keep me from feeling the full weight of what was happening to the other people we don't get to know quite as well. Um, so yeah, like I said, there's something a little traditional about the way that it's scripted that I, I, would, I guess I would prefer often when that were not the case, but it didn't keep me from being deeply affected by it. And I think the film, you know, in terms of like filming a space like that and a situation like this, yeah, it's very powerful. Yeah, uh, I agree with pretty much everything Eric said. I mean, it's it's very like traditional filmmaking. There's nothing like particularly inventive or or unique in the way it carries out this uh, very harrowing event. But I mean, it was it was very engaging, very tense, like from start to finish throughout. And I actually <laughs> I actually worked and lived in Bosnia for like a short while after I graduated. Oh wow! And so like I visited the Srebrenica and have been told by you know my Bosnian colleagues and and friends you know about this event and just this feeling of exasperation of you know being caught between this this calculating ruthless enemy and you know these forces that are supposed to protect you uh, referring to the UN forces but are revealed to be ultimately impotent and useless and so you know that feeling you know, in addition to the fact that the Bosnian people feel as if, you know, all of this is very raw and fresh in their memories, you know, so, so many people have lived through it and yet it seems like the whole world has forgotten. Um, and that society is just kind of ignoring this very raw wound. And so I feel like the film almost like captures this exasperation, you know, of, the, the hopelessness, the desperation through like, you know, the short period of time of like this woman trying to get her family to safety. I think it captures this like broader feeling within its singular event very well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I found it very good and I hope more people can watch it. I know that it's been sold to like a bunch of, of European markets, but, but I hope especially like American audiences will be able to see it. Yeah. I remember it going on and the, that whole conflict and, and people suffering kind of being treated in many ways through the lens of how do we deal with this, you know, as a case study and how to deal or how not to deal with, with a foreign conflict um, rather than ever really being able to grapple with what people are undergoing there. Well, and coming, coming from where it's coming from this, the, the context of 2020 for us has changed. It's also changed there too. It's, as some of those governments list further to the right and want to erase some of these things, it's mm. a it's a pretty essential thing for a film like this to come out that very very frankly deals with 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 what happened and, and who's responsible. Mm. And it's a twenty five year anniversary. I think that was kind of how they timed it. Mm -hmm. mm. So that was uh, Quo Vadis uh, Aida. Maybe what we could do is talk. Each of us can just kind of give. Uh, a particular movie they want to mention, dare I say a pick uh, that, that we haven't discussed or maybe everyone else hasn't seen. Um, sure. I guess I alluded to another movie before. Uh, 
That one is called Fauna by Nicholas Pareda, a Mexican-Canadian filmmaker. Um, he's made a lot of features over the years. I think this is his ninth, but I think is quite a bit, not quite a bit, but a little bit different than his other films. Um, he usually works in kind of the hybrid style with a lot of nonfiction elements mixing with the kind of fictional narratives in the Pichapong-esque style. This movie is like really based around performance and the actors at same crew uh, or team of actors he's worked with over the decade. But this movie is kind of like a starts as a small domestic drama with a, a couple going to uh, visit their mom and dad in, in like remote part of Mexico by a, in a mining community sort of. And it starts as just like a kind of semi-humorous domestic drama where the family's kind of getting to know each other. And then about halfway through the movie, one character is reading a book and the characters all of a sudden kind of transform into the characters in this book, which is kind of a uh, narco style thriller. But he but he's shooting the second half of the film in a way where there's no no violence. It leads all the dramatic stuff you would find in like a narco themed TV show or film. You doing that in a way to critique kind of representations of this uh, of this culture in Mexico and, and how people think of Mexico and this uh, and this culture from afar. So yeah, it's very like sly and uh, intricate movie, kind of in the vein, and at least the second half, kind of like Matisse Pinheiro in, in that kind of style. Um, I quite like it, and um, it's also I think in New York Film Festival. So yeah, it is a it is a tricky little tricky little number. Um, it yeah, it starts off with seeming it's going to be this kind of comedy of of, of resentment in a way with a, a, a woman bringing her boyfriend to see her family, and then her brother. He kind of being a jerk and then you think that's kind of what's going to happen and then the dad is also her dad is also is seems to be messing with him and yeah then it turns into something else one one great highlight for me being when the father asks a guy who might be his future son-in-law to mm-hmm. to perform one of the scenes that he he would he, he's doing as an actor in, in the thing he's rehearsing right now um and then just asks him to do it again but that that's like probably the one one great moment in in the movie for me where the blurring lines between what's performance and what's what's real um, i think that actor if if i did my cross referencing correctly i think he actually has acted in in a mexican like narco drama yeah so i interviewed pareda so he mentioned uh, so that actor is in a narco tv show and that scene they're acting out is a scene from that show yeah so it's very like meta and a lot, lot of that kind of stuff going on um and yeah, so the, the movie's very like it works with like theme and variation a lot. That, like Nick said, they're kind of repeating this or acting out this scene a couple times from two different perspectives, and then they do it a bit later where they're they're kind of acting out a two characters are acting out a scene that you haven't quite seen yet, uh, and then you actually never see the scene. So it's very like uh, it's very conceptual in the second half. A, a, an interesting like comparison point maybe we don't have to talk about the movie because it's not very good, but there's a movie called New Order by Michelle Franco in the, in the festival that like is very much about violence in Mexico and it shows it all very graphically. Uh, so this is kind of like the opposite of that where it's kind of like critiquing it and also not showing you these things that uh, usually are very prevalent in Mexican cinema. Uh Oh, um, I like new order. <laughs> well, you can talk about it though. Um, I don't want to take away from, from other people's picks, but I, I, I think there's something to new order. 
Um, but, uh, <laughs> I encourage people to listen to Jonathan Romney's eloquent defense of it on our previous episode of The Last Thing I Saw. Um, and I will now give the floor to Eric, who will share <laughs> with us. <laughs> so uh, a film that we haven't talked about that I liked is uh, Downstream to Kinshasa mm. by uh, Diudo Hamadi, a uh, Congolese uh, documentary filmmaker uh, who's kind of on a really hot run, I think, of like, what a weird way of talking about somebody's cinema. Been a hot run of, of ace <laughs> works of nonfiction. Um, anyway, I, I really uh, admire him as a filmmaker and have really liked his films, in particular his film from a few years ago, Mama Colonel. Uh, and I think that he's one of the better observational filmmakers in the world right now and has been training his camera on uh, very local uh, realities in Congo right now. Uh, and a real commitment to observational cinema and, and what it can accomplish. I say that, and yet the, his latest film, Downstream to Kinshasa, also involves dramatizations, which I think is uh, relatively new to his filmmaking. And this it's not a huge aspect of the film in terms of running time, but it actually uh, adds something really nice. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically a film about survivors of the Six-Day War from uh, around the millennium, uh, June of 2000, um, when Congo was sort of caught, uh, this area of Congo was caught between Rwandan and Ugandan military forces, and uh, a fair amount of people died, and a lot more people were maimed and seriously injured during that time. And so there are some survivors, uh, this is you know nearly 20 years later, who've never gotten any compensation for it. There, there was money allocated for them and it's never gotten their, its way to them. And these are people who are living impoverished lives, difficulty being employed and have a hard time moving around. Um, and they basically um, travel by boat on the Congo River to the seat of government to petition the government to recognize them and to help them. And so there's this arduous journey on the, on the river where they're on this barge, basically over an incredible distance through terrible weather crowded together, you know, so obviously we have characters, we have people who are making their way to, to protest, to petition, but you also see, you know, the, the kind of larger societal reality of those who are, are making a journey like this. Um, so in terms of observational cinema, like it's, it's unbelievable the, what we are able to see. And it really becomes just one, it's a, it's a one man, you know, production team making this possible to see what we're seeing. Um, characterizations are incredibly strong. These are, these are amazing people. Um, also, but there are these moments, these vignettes of dramatizations of their, of their, traumas and of their lives where we see these people also act as as performers and those are very effective I, I, the quibble could be that the dramatizations could be even more of a thread in what we're seeing um but but as they exist i find them very powerful and all of the sort of footage that's presented in terms of their mission here of uh, is just immensely powerful and it's it's just never his, his approach is to never overpackage things um, so even the dramatizations are this kind of thread that does not put a bow on things. And so um, the, the, the ongoing realities there are left intact as ongoing realities. It's not packaged in a way for us to, you know, be able to walk away from this feeling like we have, we have a better sense of it and, and we have enough, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's really great filmmaking. Mm. Wow. Um, and, and what was it you mentioned was the, the uh, most recent film by the director again? 
before this? Well, I mean, uh, Mama Colonella is the one that I mentioned. The other one screened at True False. I saw that as well, but I can't remember the name. But yeah, I remember being good. They highlighted his work a few years ago uh, around Mama Colonella, I believe, or maybe it was for another title. Uh, Kinshasa Macambo. Yes. Yeah. That's it. I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So the film you were talking about just now is is uh, Downstream to Kinshasa. Um, Correct. That's, that, sounds, that sounds good. Yeah. These are... Um, Beatrice, do you have a comedy for? <laughs> no. <laughs> or, or actually, you know what I realized? You, you saw a new order and you liked it. Well, you don't have to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I guess I liked it. Yeah, I liked it fine. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> but I won't talk about new order. Um. <laughs> yeah, what, what's your, 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 your pick? I will recommend uh, preparations to be together for an unknown period of time, which is a mouthful. Um, but it is by the Hungarian director, Lily Horvath, who actually has in the past worked with Cornell Mundrovsko, you know, whom we all know and love here. (laughs) (laughs) So this is like, it's like a psychodrama. Um, it's surreal. It's a romance. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of dreamy, casual formalism kind of reminds me of like an early Christian Petzold film. Hmm. I have, you know, talked to a few people about it and it seems the reactions have mostly been divided. Like it's, it's kind of hard to get a grasp on it, but I kind of really enjoy its imperfections. Um, and so, you know, the story is about a, a woman. She is a world-class neuroscientist and in America, she meets this, fellow Hungarian neuroscientist at this conference and they have like this instant romantic connection. Um, This is all told to us by the woman, like a recollection. And so they decide a month later to reunite in, um, in Budapest at this bridge. It's supposed to be this romantic reunion. And so the film begins with her flying to Budapest to have this reunion with, you know, her lover so she gets to the bridge and he's nowhere to be found. And so she goes to the the school that he works at and faces him and he doesn't know who she is. From then on, she, she remains in Budapest and uh, takes a job as, as a doctor there, uh, though she is above and beyond qualifications wise, her colleagues, because, you know, she's this amazing neuroscientist that works in America. Um, and so, you know, it's underscored by this, you know, the objectivity of, of science and her, you know, vast specialization in this field. But, you know, it's constantly playing with whether this love that she has is a delusion or it's reality. And so it kind of is always shifting back and forth, like destabilizing you because, you know, then it's revealed that this man kind of knows who she is. Um, and so it, it really reminded me of, of sort of old Hollywood noirs, the way it unites this like weird cold repression with this quivering desire underneath. And, you know, it's it's kind of something like, like the big sleep where it doesn't really make any sense, <laughs> but somehow comes together uh, into a product that is, you know, very impactful you know and in this case i found the movie very seductive 
um, and moving on this like weird gut level that I can't really articulate. So that's probably one of my favorite movies of the festival. And I, I would, I would, I would second all of that. I, I felt very similarly about that film and found it very seductive and prob- like it, it, it's, it's, it feels like it's a problem, but it's not a problem that we're looking to solve. It's a problem that you're meant to sort of sit with <laughs> and feel. Um, yeah, 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 and, and it, it also reminded me a little bit of Kieślowski in, in some moments in terms mm-hmm. of the fact that it there's something kind of romantic and operatic on on a, on a plot level, and yet it's really all about how it feels. It's really mm-hmm. all about kind of just the 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 sort of impossible slipperiness of existence and what 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 we can actually grab onto. I really appreciate that, but but not, not that you're looking to end, Nick. We, none of, we haven't talked about any comedies, but there's one element of that film of all films that I found hilarious, which is that uh, she worked as a neuroscientist or surgeon, whatever, in New Jersey, and every oh, time, yeah. and every time they refer to her fancy doctor life in America, they go, "Oh, just tell us about New Jersey." <laughs> Why don't you brag more about your life in New Jersey? Which is, of course, from an American standpoint, absolutely hilarious that that is the epitome, that is the pinnacle of uh, of civilization. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was fun. Yeah, I think one point she's going she's going on rounds with like the head surgeon or something, um, and she she raises a point about someone's some some vertebrae or something or other, uh, and the and the guy says, "No, we checked into that. Maybe they covered that." In New Jersey, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, oh, and and and, and Beatrice, I, I really love the comparison to uh, you know that's a certain certain kind and a certain sense of of film noir, just also like in the sense of a, a phantom lady type, um, yeah. you know, um, plot. You know, it, it makes you think of what sort of effect seeing movies from the forties. What feeds into that? The fact that they are, of course, in the forties, and whether the displacement here, the fact that they're in Budapest. And that that slight displacement is also somehow feeding this for me um, uh, and, and for her, too, since she's kind of returning after having been away. Mm. Yeah. I also I also liked how and this is not an insult to to an actor who is very good and, and compelling and, and not. You know, how, do, how do I say this without without doing exactly what I'm saying I'm about to do <laughs> that, 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 the, that the lead actor is not some Brad Pitt, you know, and I think that's actually really adds to what's hard to pin down here you know that that her her dream partner um that she's obsessed with is not somebody who's necessarily objectively worthy of obsession and i kind of really like that yeah that that was that was interesting well then meanwhile she's she gets pursued by like a a med student um which is another fun little subplot so okay so that's let me get this right preparations to be together for an unknown period of time I have nothing to add to that except to say I agree with all of you. It's a very good movie uh, and, and better than Pieces of a Woman. So. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow, somehow a better title. Too. Yes. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Lily, Lily Horvath is, is the director there. Um, I'll, I'll just throw in my pick just uh, quickly um, since I don't want to talk too much. Um, that would be 76 Days which is a documentary about Wuhan and the early days of the, the COVID virus and epidemic there. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I, I really liked it. It's, it's basic, it's basically limited 
to a hospital or maybe I think two hospitals since I think they switch locations um, and just showing doctors dealing with the, the kind of first 76 days before lockdown was, was lifted. At first it's, it's, you know, pretty grim. And then you get a sense of the kind of esprit de corps among, among the surgeons and they kind of have a running, a running thing about how hardy a lot of the people are who are coming in and you have kind of wandering like, 80 somethings who just seem inconvenienced by, by COVID for the moment. Um, and then others, you know, who, who are very much laid low by it. So I think in a way it's, it's, it's a good documentary about coping as, as a doctor as, as well, um, where you have some gallows humor maybe. So 76 days, I, I would, I would recommend, I'm not sure it's going to be the kind of, you know, expose about the progress of the virus or, um, but it's definitely a movie that clearly was hard to make. It's ha- it's credited to three filmmakers, uh, one of them just as anonymous, and one one being Hao Wu, who made People's Republic of Desire, which won, I think, South by Southwest in two thousand eighteen. Um, um, it's a good filmmaker. So wait, but Derek, did did you like it as well, or I didn't see it, <laughs> though. Though the festival is of, of a much smaller size this year, um, they've definitely replicated, as I think was mentioned before, the experience of everybody trying to clamoring to watch films, and of course, therefore, missing films as well. So yeah. I, I really want to see that as well as a couple other films that have been mentioned. Yeah, definitely many, many more films to, to be seen, even within this uh, kind of smaller, more select selection. But uh, I think we've, we've covered a lot, so we could probably bring this in for, for our landing. Um, anyone have any movies that they're looking forward to seeing? Uh, these are the last things you saw. What is the next thing you will see? <laughs> I'm going to try to see the Wiseman before uh, that window closes tomorrow at 11. So that'll be my project. Start now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, very good movie. Yes, it is good. Um, I'm watching uh, beginning uh, this afternoon, which is uh, a female filmmaker. I don't know actually what country is it. Georgian filmmaker. I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, Beatrice, you get the last word <laughs> on, your, on the yeah. next film. Uh, I'm also looking forward to beginning, um, but I guess suppose I'm looking forward to the new Naomi Kawase film, uh, True Mothers. I mean, I sometimes like her work, sometimes I don't, <laughs> but that's probably the next big one on my TIFF radar before I jump into NYFF. Yes, it's just one thing after another, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, well, one thing after another after having not enough for a long time. Let me get back to my whining, please. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, that's that's all for now. But we'll, you know, I think we'll be talking more. Um, but thank you all of you for for uh, for experimenting with with this remote form of a uh, of festival uh, podcast. I really appreciate it, Beatrice, Eric, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.